0: Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. You've been with us the last several weeks. You know that uh, we are in the midst of a series out of the book of 1 John, and uh, we've entitled this series, In the Light, and we have looked at How the Apostle John, who wrote this epistle, wrote this little letter, he wrote it to his congregations that he pastored in the first century. And he wrote it to them to encourage the members of his congregation to have an intimate relationship with the Savior. Not just a, a one time event from their past, but an ongoing, dynamic, day by day relationship with the God of the universe. And John wrote this to them, and, and as people who live today who desire to have an intimate relationship with the Lord as well, we are, we do well to look at the teaching of 1 John and to see what God has for us there. You over the last several weeks, we've been looking at that, and we've seen a number of things. We've seen how this intimate relationship with the Lord is found in the light and not in the darkness. It's found in confession and not in perfection. It's found in His work and not in ours, and it's Found in obedience and not just in information. And specifically, it's obeying some old school kind of truths, like loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, And that is something that's possible for us because God has placed His Spirit within us that can empower us to resemble our Heavenly Father as we live out our life of faith. Uh, And we've also seen how there are some things in this world that tempt us that woo us away from fidelity to our Savior. But we can overcome those things that we encounter in this world's fair in which we live. Then last week, we shared communion together, and we we talked about how John also encourages us to live in light of the imminent return of Christ to this earth. Today, we're going to see another set of verses from the book of 1 John that will Help us to understand a little more about what it means to live in the light of Christ. But before we open up God's Word together today, let's uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I just thank you so much, Father, that you are present with us. I thank you that your Spirit just is here. Father, you've made promises to that end. You've said that where two or more are gathered in your name, that you are there also. You've said that anyone who has placed their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, is given a deposit of your Holy Spirit to seal us until uh, the time that you bring us to yourself. And so, Father, as we gather here today, we believe that your Spirit is here, and we need to hear from you. Father, again, we don't need to hear from me, but we need to hear from you. And so, Father, I pray that you would just open up your word today uh, to help us to see and hear and understand what you would want us to hear, every single one of us from this passage. And Father, I pray that you would protect me from saying anything you wouldn't want said. But if I do say something, Father, you wouldn't want said, I pray it would just quickly be forgotten. But any words that I share, Father, that you would want us to hear, I pray that we would remember them, we would believe them, we would walk forward in them in the power of your Spirit. We might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 1996... Senator Bob Dole from Kansas ran for president against the incumbent, President Bill Clinton. Uh, If you remember that election, you remember that it didn't turn out very well for Senator Dole, right? Uh, He was defeated and President Clinton retained the White House. And after being defeated in that election, uh, Senator Dole returned home to his home state of Kansas. But, But a funny thing happened in his return to Kansas, and that was that Bob Dole got funny. Uh, If you remember back in 1996, 1997, Bob Dole became everyone's favorite pitch man for all kinds of products, and he made appearances on Saturday Night Live, and all of them, he was poking fun at himself in various ways. Uh, And one of the commercials that he was in, I, I distinctly remember, that was kind of making fun of himself in that era uh, showed him returning to his hometown of Russell, Kansas. And, and as Senator Dole came back, I mean, it was to great pomp and circumstance. The conquering hero had returned to Russell, Kansas, and veterans were saluting him, and uh, women and children were adoring him, and the, the high school band was playing some John Philip Sousa and, and everywhere he turned, people were calling him Bob. Hi, Bob. Good to see you, Bob. Glad you're here, Bob. So glad you're home, Bob. And, and everybody was calling him by his first name, including the owner of a local coffee shop where Senator Dole went in to to have a cup of coffee and a slice of pie, just a slice of Americana, straight out of a Norman Rockwell painting. And, and as Senator Dole finished his pie and his coffee, uh, he looked up at the person who was working behind the counter and he said. Hey, you know, I, I'm going to pay for this. Can I can I pay via check? And she said, "Sure, Bob, but I'm going to need to see two forms of ID." And it goes through this whole thing. And uh, it, it's such a funny commercial. It was for a, this this crazy new technology called a Visa Check Card back in 1997. Um, but but it was this commercial that that highlighted how when we do certain things, it just requires some level of identification. And even though the technology has changed some, and, and I'm, I'd hazard a guess that some in this room never write any checks anymore uh, because technology is changing so rapidly in the way that we handle money. But let's, let's you know, there, there, are, there are opportunities for us to use an ID even if we don't write a personal check. I'll give you a few examples. You know, if, if you go uh, and you checked in your child this morning into our check in system, you probably use some kind of a barcode scanner, not the sign of the beast, just a barcode, to check your child into. Um, the children's ministry here at Wildwood. It's a form of identification. I've got one of these on my keychain that I use when I go into the YMCA here in town. I just scan it, and I can go on inside. Uh, There are different things you have to do where you have to show a little different form of ID. You have to show like a a driver's license or something like that. Uh, You have to do that if you're stopped by the police. You have to do that if you have to verify age because you're purchasing something that requires you to be of a certain age. You have to do that even if you buy Sudafed. Uh, you have to show some ID. I mean, identification and showing ID is something that we're quite common with on things that are somewhat important, right? Even when you swipe your credit card, there's something in that credit card that ties that, identifies that to you. There are things that we do in this life that require some ID. And I was thinking about that this week because I was looking at some truth in the Book of First John that that encourage us to ID. Some different things. And that the ID that that John encourages us to do, the identification, the showing of an ID card that John encourages us to do in the book of 1 John is not so much on an individual, but it has to do with the ideas that we hear. John writes to his congregation, and, and by proxy, we get this letter today, and we're encouraged to ID the ideas that we hear in this world. See, John knew. That in the world in which we live, we're going to hear competing claims of truth. We'll hear them all the time. We'll hear that, that this is that and not this. And, and we'll, we're varying claims of truth that we encounter all the time. And, and as believers in Christ who are living in this world, it's important for us to do some identification, some IDing of the truths that we hear, of the ideas that we come across so that we can correctly identify them as either coming from the Lord or of coming from the world. And so what we see in the book of 1 John is that we need to do this. And, and John is very clear as he writes to uh, his congregation that this was a real threat to them. In the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, he says this. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. John knew in the immediate context of the recipients of this letter that there were people who were teaching things contrary to the truth that he taught. And he wanted them to decipher and determine what was true and what was error. And as people who live today, this passage still holds true. There are things that we will hear that are attempting to deceive us from believing the things that Jesus Christ has revealed about himself. And if we desire intimate fellowship with Him, then we need to not be deceived, but we need to understand what the truth is. We need to see some ID on the ideas we come across. And so the passages we're going to look at today from 1 John will help us to understand a little more of what that looks like. If you got a Bible, uh, take it and open up. We're going to look at two different sections of Scripture today. Uh, the first one is in the book of Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, and then we're also going to look at it, kind of a parallel account, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 24. In those two sections, we'll understand a little about how we can make some determinations on the ideas we hear in this life. The first thing that we're going to see from these passages of Scripture is this, that we are to ID ideas. We are to ID ideas. And when we get this idea unfolding for us in chapter 4, verse 1, this is what John writes to his congregation. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, John starts in this section and he says that there are different spirits that will come across, some that we are to believe and some that we are to reject. Well, what are the spirits that, that he refers to? Oh, in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, it talks about those spirits being tied to, to false prophets. And so we can understand that at least part of what he means is that there are ideas that are going to be taught that are true, and there are ideas that are going to be taught that are, are false. Um, and, and he mentions them in the context of spirit, and I think this is important because what he's getting at is that every spiritual idea, every spiritual notion, every spiritual thought is is not necessarily from the lord. So sometimes we can begin to think that any kind of spirituality is from god. You know, it we talk they talk about a great, you know, power in the universe on Oprah. It was that talking about the biblical god? They they talk about uh, you know, I want to have a a, a clear conscience or a pure spirit, or I want to to be in touch with my inner reality, or I want to know about the the cosmos of the world. I mean, people talk about spiritual things all the time, but is everything that is talked about that is spiritual from the Lord. I mean, this this passage would indicate that it certainly isn't. There are things that are talked about that are spiritual that are false, that are taught by false prophets. I mean, John is is literally saying, we are not to chase spirituality. We're to follow Christ, and that is a very fundamentally different thing. We're not just to be spiritual people. We're to be followers of God as He has revealed Himself to us in Christ. And, And John knew that this was important and critical for people that were going to read this because John had come to an understanding early in his time with Christ that following Christ was the only option and there was no plan B for the world in which he lived. Uh, look, look at what it says back in the book of John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we have an instance where Jesus teaches a very difficult truth. And when he teaches this difficult truth, the crowd begins to disperse. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, "Hey, are you guys going to take off just like everybody else?" And Simon Peter, the spokesman for the disciples, speaks up. This is what we see in John 6:67 6, to 69. So Jesus said to the 12, "Do you want to go away as well?" And Simon Peter answered him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of God." You see, John knew that we are not people that are to chase spirituality because spirituality doesn't have what we need. John knew that we were to follow Christ because only Christ has the words that lead to life. And so when we go to processing the information, the ideas that we come across, we need to ID them to see where they're from. Not just are they spiritual or are they fleshly, but are they from the Lord or are they from the world? John wants them to make that determination. And back in 1 John, in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, we get a little more detail about this truth, that, or the, the, the things they're hearing, these ideas that are actually in error. John, 1 John, chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, says this. John writes and says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And what John is getting at there is he's saying that that some of these competing truths that people are going to hear, some of these ideas that we need to ID emanate not from Someplace way out there in the secular world. But they emanate from people who have at least at one time had a role within the church. He says, that's what all that those post-pronouns are for. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. In other words, the false teachings that they were hearing were things that it, were being taught by people who at one time had some affiliations with Christians. And, and he calls them now antichrists. Now, we hear that, and, and we ought to be a little bit confused by that. Because when we think of the title antichrist, most of the time we think of the antichrist, how in the end time... There will be raised up one who will influence many, who will perform miracles and all kinds of things, who will be defeated during the time of the tribulation and at the second coming of Christ. That is the Antichrist. That's a real figure that that at some point in the future will be manifest on the earth, that we we will come to see this person in a real way. That's what we're used to thinking about when we hear the word Antichrist. But John here says that there are many antichrists. And I I think this is what he means. When we hear certain truths taught, they are anti-Christ. Determining whether something is true or error is evaluating it on the basis of how close it resembles the teaching and the life and the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. We will hear things, even from people with the title of pastor or doctor of philosophy, doctor of ministry, doctor of theology, whatever. We'll hear things from folks like that that will actually have its end result of pulling us further away from Christ. It is anti-Christ in its revelation of truth. And John wants us to be aware that we need to evaluate the things we hear. We need to ID the ideas we come across because even within a Christian context, we might hear things that ultimately would seek to draw us away from the Savior. You know, there's an example in Scripture in the book of Acts in chapter 17 of some people that did this really well, that evaluated ideas well. They were people that lived in this area called Berea. And when the Apostle Paul went to minister there, uh, this is what Paul found. It says in, in chapter 17, verse 11 of Acts Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You see, the people of Berea were applauded because they didn't just take what they heard at face value they heard these ideas that were coming out of the mouth of the Apostle Paul and they were IDing them. They said, Paul, that's great what you're teaching, but I'm going to have to see some ID. Where is what you're saying found in the corpus of God's Word? And as people who live today, we're, we're in a similar situation. We're confronted with truth. We're confronted with claims of truth all the time. And rather than just accepting everything we hear, we're encouraged by John to ID those truths. We're given the example of the Bereans to examine what we hear on the basis of Scripture so that we might determine truth from error. Because it's possible to hear truth that is, is basically anti-Christ in its orientation. That, that reality is spelled out for us a little more uh, back in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 of First John. This is what he says. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. In other words, he's getting ready to tell us how we can determine truth from error in the things that we hear. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess, that Jesus, confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. See, What John is saying there is that the the key determination is what are they saying about Christ? What are they saying about Christ? See, there there are many people um, who have stood up within Christian context from the first century until now that have said things about Christ that are something less than what Jesus has actually revealed about himself. There's a discrepancy between the things that are taught sometimes and the way Christ has revealed himself in scripture. In John's day, there were those who would say that Jesus wasn't fully God, that he was just a man, just a good teacher. There were others that said that Jesus wasn't fully man, that he was he was he was so godlike, he was so otherlike that he couldn't possibly have had a physical flesh. He couldn't possibly relate to us in any kind of a way. He couldn't possibly have died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins because non physical beings don't die. There were those within John's day who would say that. There were those who would deny the, the saving work of Christ on the cross and say that that's not how people are made right with God. Those, those were some of the things that were happening in John's day. And John says if you want to know truth from error, then, then here's, a, here's a good litmus test listen to what they're saying about Jesus. And then compare it to how Jesus, who Jesus really was, as revealed to us in Scripture. And if they are different from who Jesus has revealed Himself to be, then that is a, that is a truth that you want to reject. That's an that's an ID that, that an idea that as you ID it, that you don't let it in the club of your life. You keep it out on the curb. If it's different from how Christ has revealed Himself, and, and what's what's fascinating to me about this is that. John is encouraging them to evaluate these false teachers based on what they say if they confess this if they deny that it's about what they say and this is counter to sometimes what we want to do in, in our world today we want to say that we evaluate people teachers based on how they live based on how ethical they appear to be that's how our, our world typically wants to do it We want to say you know what if he, he's saying some crazy stuff, but he seems like he's a pretty nice guy. He's saying some crazy stuff, but boy, he's, he sure seems to be, be helping a lot of people, so he can't all be bad. I mean, this is what happens to us with, with, the, with Mormons, right? Mormons come along and they say something different about the nature of who Christ is. But they seem to be such nice people. How could that be wrong? And Jesus actually spoke directly to this, and he said, you know what? You determine false teachers not by what they do, but by what they say. And Zane Hodges, the biblical scholar, says this about this topic, and it kind of summarizes uh, this idea uh, in a good way. It says, according to the Lord Jesus, false prophets were to be tested by their fruits. Contrary to popular interpretation, this does not mean that they were to be tested by their works. On the contrary, as Matthew twelve thirty-three to 37 proves, their fruits are their words. Indeed, as the Lord Himself said, they come to you in sheep's clothing so that they look like sheep when in reality they are ravenous wolves. Their behavior does not set them apart from the sheep, but their message does. You see, it matters the truth that we share. It matters the truth that we let into our lives. It matters the truth that we believe. And the reason why it matters is because God has gone to the effort to reveal Himself to us in a particular kind of a way. God hasn't just said, be spiritual. God has said, this is who I am. And and what God asks of us, first and foremost, is belief. He asks us to believe Him, to, to receive Him for who He is. That's what God has asked of us. And so because what God desires from us is belief, then what we believe is of incredible importance. What we believe will ultimately influence our lives, but what we believe is of incredible importance. And, and Jesus spoke to the topic, and John speaks to the topic, you determine a false teacher, not just by the ethical nature of their life that you see, but you determine a false teacher on the basis of what they say. Back in chapter 2 of 1 John In verse 20, he says this, he says, but you have been anointed, I'm sorry, 22 is where we need to be, verse 22 of chapter 2, he says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. See, Again, John is saying that the key thing is what someone does with the person of Christ and, and how close what they do with Christ resembles what's in Scripture will determine truth from error. You know, when, when you go and set up an account at the bank, Uh, you sign a card. It's a signature card, right? And they can use that signature to determine if something else that is written, a check on your account or whatever, they can compare it to see if the signature matches. When you get a credit card, you sign the back of it. So when you pay for things, they can theoretically check to see if it's really you that is signing uh, for this item. And, And what John is really saying here is he's saying that that the signature that you need to check for to see if an idea is, is true is, is what do they do with Christ, but specifically what do they do with Christ as revealed in Scripture. If somebody is teaching things that are run, run counter to what we see in Scripture, then that truth is to be rejected and not let into our system. This is the grid We have been given an understanding of how we determine truth from error. And, and this is so important for us to think about. It's so important for us to consider because we live in a world that offers us many competing claims of truth as it pertains to the person of Christ. You know, in the world in which we live, every year, you know, especially around Christmas time and around Easter time, you'll start seeing the litany of things being published about the person of Christ. You know, the History Channel's running a Jesus marathon, you know, and and they're, they're you know the Time and Newsweek recycle a cover about the person of Christ. And, and in those articles and in those interviews, many times they, they have experts who come on and talk, and it's Dr. So and so, and it's it's the, the leader of blank, and it's the head of this church and congregation and all this stuff. And, and you, you hear all that, and many times in those reports, they want to diminish the work of Christ. They want to say that Jesus, sure, he was human, he was a good teacher. But he really couldn't have been miraculous because that would have made him more like God. And we know that miraculous things like that don't happen. And so we're going to diminish the work of Christ in some way. And, you know, we sit there and we receive that and we hear those reports. And that guy's got more education than I do on the topic. And this, you know, how do I know if he's right or not? What do I do with what he's sharing with me? This passage would tell us that when we hear those kinds of things, we are hearing anti-Christ truth. We're hearing teaching that is counter to what the scriptures say, and when we hear that, we're to not let that into the system. When that, when somebody comes on and they start talking, just just say to yourself, "I need to see some ID, not your credential." I want to see some ID. How does what you say jive with scripture? And if it if it runs and if they work together, man, that's great. But if they don't, don't buy it. This is the same thing that happens with, with, with cults. You know, America is the birthplace of Christian cults. You know, you got, you got Jehovah's Witness and you got Mormonism and you got all these things that, are, that, that come out from the, the world of America in which we live. And what all of those groups have done is they've taken the truth of Christ and they've just twisted it a little bit. And as believers in Christ, We need to evaluate. And, and, you know, here's another thing. We need to evaluate not just what we hear out there, but we need to evaluate in the, in the, the places where we go to feed. You need to evaluate it in here. I say that not because I'm trying to intentionally deceive you and not because Bruce would ever try to intentionally deceive you or somebody we have up here would ever try to do that. But, you know, you ought to take whatever you hear in here and run it through the grid of Scripture. ID that stuff. Id what we're talking about here. See if it if it jives with scripture. Now, the same thing is true of the books that you read, of the podcasts that you listen to, of the bloggers that you read. Don't just accept everything you see as face value because it comes from a person named pastor, or doctor, or whatever. Evaluate what you hear and what you see through the grid of scripture. We're to id these ideas. But you know what? There's a second thing that comes into this, a second thing that we're told about this topic, and that is that we are to live in light of our ID. We are to live in light of our identification. And we see that in chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. John speaks about the identification, the ID of believers in Christ. And this is what he says. He says, little children, you are from God. What, what a great statement. We, we talked some about this in the previous weeks. He says, little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. See, this incredible thing has happened when we come to know Christ. Our identification has changed. At the core of who we are, we have changed. We've become gods. We are His child. And because of that, we have an opportunity for understanding truth that we didn't have before. You see, this, this, these verses indicate for us that those who are in the world, those who don't know Christ, hear things and it sounds good to them because it's shared from the perspective and the worldview from which they come. It's like hearing somebody speak your native tongue. Those in the world, hear somebody say that Jesus didn't really perform any miracles, and they go, yeah, I haven't seen any miracles. That's probably true. It just resonates with them. Yeah, Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. I mean, people don't raise from the dead, and they go, that's right. I went to my dad's funeral. He's still at the cemetery. It just resonates with us. World truth does with people. But, but we something has changed about you and I. We are not of the world. We are of God. We are His. And that means that something has fundamentally changed inside of us that makes it possible for us to understand and discern truth from error. And that thing that has come over us, we've seen throughout this series, is the Spirit of God that He has placed within us at the point that we trusted in Christ. Look at what it says back in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. He says this. He says, "But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth." You see, if we are God's, then we are. This passage says, "Are anointed." What that means is that God's Holy Spirit has come and resided within us, that makes it possible for us to understand. Truth that is God's. If you have trusted in Christ, you have the ability to discern truth from error, because his spirit resides within you. And you think about it from the perspective of, of a musical instrument. And I, some of you uh, have, have been here before when the band is practicing or, or getting ready. And one of the things they do is, is they, they take uh, the, the guys with their guitars, they'll take this little box uh, that's a tuning device. And they'll plug it in and they'll play and they'll, they'll use that as the standard to tune their guitar so that it plays the right note. If you were to look at the church's master calendar, you'd see that we have a regularly scheduled event that is the tuning of our piano so that when Andre plays this beautiful song, it sounds right. It's, it's a calibration of that. And what this passage is indicating for us is that the Spirit of God resides within our lives. And that means that we have this this tuner inside of us that allows us to understand truth. That that when we hear the notes of the world being played, the tuner inside of us can say, yeah, that sounds like the Word of God or that doesn't. We have that inside. And the reason why that's possible is that that the Spirit of God inspired the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is spirit breathed. It is spirit inspired that moved human authors along to record these words. And so when you pick up and read the Word of God, you have an an internal presence of the Holy Spirit who authored this Word. And it allows you to to, to hear the right notes as you read and as, as you interact with other ideas. In the world, we have this incredible gift that is placed within us. And here is something that is incredibly exciting an implication of that truth. The implication is that we have with us all the time the greatest teacher of God's Word. You know, if you've been a believer for any period of time, you probably have favorite teachers. Of God's word, you know. Yeah, you have people that you always want to know what do they say about this. You know, you read a, a passage and you wonder, I wonder what MacArthur says about that. I wonder what Piper says about that. I wonder what Constable says about that. I wonder what this person says about that or that person says about that. You know, this is this is the issue that we go through. We wonder, you know, what is it? Uh, what what would these people say about it? And the reason why we do that is because we think that they are the, the greatest teachers. And, you know, that God uses human teachers. He does. I mean, I, I've got favorites also that I like to turn to. But One of the exciting things about this is when we have our favorite teacher, sometimes we wish when we come to a passage, we wish that we had our favorite teacher sitting beside us. You now, if our favorite teacher was sitting beside us, then when we got to these things, we could ask him. and they could help us to understand it. But here's what's great. The fact that the Spirit of God resides within us means that the most dynamic, the most enlightened, the greatest understanding, the most wonderful instructor of the Word of God is not out there. He's not on my radio. He's not on the Internet. He is residing within my heart. So that when I read God's Word, I can be instructed by God Himself. And that's not something that comes after theological education. That's not something that comes after a certain number of years as believers in Christ. That comes the moment you trust in Him. His Spirit comes to reside within you so that no matter where you read God's Word, you have the Spirit translating it for you so that you can understand and apply it. That is incredible. That ought to inspire us to read and to study God's Word. Jesus speaks of this issue. In the book of John, with his disciples in two different places, when he talks of the Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit, he says in chapter 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit of God is a teacher inside of us, instructing us of God's Word. Uh, chapter 16, verse 13 of John Jesus says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You see, we have the greatest teacher of God's word residing within us. And if we have the greatest teacher of God's word residing within us, it ought to inspire us to read God's word. We don't have to wait till Sunday to read this and get something out of it. We don't have to wait till small group to read this and, and understand it. We don't have to to wait until this podcast is downloaded before we can hear from God. We can get it right here in your hands is the Word of God, and His Spirit is within you, longing to teach you and to lead you into all truth. That's one of the most exciting things about God's Word. And I inspire us to want to read it. And you know, I, I just want to encourage you as a response to this, to, to think about a plan for getting into God's Word. Now, what, what's your plan for getting into God's Word? You know, some of you have a plan. Some of you had a plan and no longer have, have that plan. You know, some of you, at some point in the last 12 months, have said, I'm going to read through the entire Bible, and you start in Genesis, and you get to Leviticus, and you stop. Because Leviticus is the place where all Bible reading plans go to die um it's just something that happens um but if if that has happened to you um be encouraged just start someplace else this is all god's word it's all profitable if you get stuck someplace, just start someplace else if you're looking for a place to start I, I would encourage you to start with the gospel of john it's a great uh, uh accompanying book to what we've been reading in first John uh you might know we've been we've been using quoting out of it quite a bit. You start there. If you're if you're looking for a tool to help you get into First John a little more, go to my, my blog, wildwoodmark.com. There's a Bible study section. There's a there's a study on First John there. It's free. You're welcome if, if it's helpful for you to getting into God's Word. But but if if we have the teacher of the Word of God inside of us, then we ought to be excited and enthusiastic about reading this because we have the opportunity when we do to hear And we have the opportunity as we hear from God to be able to determine truth from error. To keep us from embracing and welcoming into our system ideas that aren't from Him. I'm going to invite Greg to come on up now. And as he comes up and we prepare, hey, there he is. I'm going to ask him to come out. Hi, Greg. As he prepares to lead us in our closing song, I, I just want to uh, encourage us all this way. We're getting ready to sing a song about how the Lord is holy, and, and and what that what that says in light of what we've looked at is that God is particular. He's not just some generic spirit. He's not asking us to chase spirituality, but God is specific, and He's asked us to follow him as he's revealed himself in Christ. And the way that he's revealed himself to us is as a holy God. As we close today, would you stand and join us as we sing Holy is the Lord.